0: Welcome to the Marketers in Motion podcast, powered by the West Michigan chapter of the American Marketing Association. Marketing is our passion, and as a chapter, we hope to inspire dialogue, fuel creativity, and create a community for marketers everywhere. Let the inspiration and dialogue begin. We're online at amawestmichigan.org and active on social media, where you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. The national hub for the American Marketing Association is AMA.org, where you can also find a chapter near you. The Marketers in Motion podcast is on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at AMAWestMichigan.org, where we encourage you not only to subscribe to our podcast, but review, ask questions, get involved, and engage with us.
1: Hello, I'm your host, Josh Genoviak. Today's topic, amplifying your weirdness to stand out in business. Why is differentiation important? And why should companies care? It's easy to follow the crowd, it's easy to blend in, it seems smart to do what other brands are doing, it feels safe, but it's not. Successful brands stick out, they're different, they're unusual. Be proud of what your brand does and what it doesn't do. Be proud of your brand's strengths and weaknesses. Don't apologize for your flaws and don't try to fix them. Instead, exploit your brand's imperfections. Can't wait to talk more about this. Our co-host, Megan Pear, AMA West Michigan President. Hello, Megan. Hi, Josh. How are you? Doing great yourself? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and Ben Kaluski. He's our AMA West Michigan VP of Sponsorship. Hey, Josh. Thanks for having me. So give him a call if you have any money burning a hole in your (laughs) pocket. I'm the man. And you want to get in front of our extremely large audience here in the Markers of Motion podcast.
2: Nice plug, Josh. Yes. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Okay, our guest today, Stan Phelps, best selling author, keynote speaker, and workshop facilitator. He believes that today's organizations must focus on meaningful differentiation to win the hearts of both employees and customers. He is the founder of purplegoldfish.com, a think tank of customer experience and employee engagement experts that offers keynotes and workshops that drive loyalty and sales. They help organizations connect with the hearts and minds of customers and employees. Welcome, Stan. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, well, tell us a little bit about yourself and how Purple Goldfish came to be.
3: Well, I was I was born at a very young age.
1: <laughs> <laughs> He's, yeah, got uh, He's got humor. He's got humor.
3: So uh, grew up grew up in the Northeast. Uh, I now reside down in an area called the Triangle, which is in Central North Carolina, okay. like the Raleigh mm-hmm. Raleigh Durham Chapel Hill area that makes up the Triangle. Um couple decades as a marketer back in the late two thousands, I saw marketing changing pretty quickly. And, uh, the stuff that I was doing in marketing, I didn't think was the future. And so really started to write and explore what I thought was maybe the answer. And about nine years ago, it led me nine, 10 years ago, led me on a path that, that, um, Led to my first book, which is Purple Goldfish, and then there's now been seven more subsequent colors of goldfish, and kind of an you know uh, a progression of my thinking, of which pink uh, was the sixth color in the series, and I think maybe the maybe one of the best.
1: Oh wow! Okay, so I know that we're going to be talking and focusing on that today, but of course, being a marketer, there's got to be some significance to the name Purple Goldfish, I would assume.
3: Sure. So I I'll break it down for you. The the goldfish is really a metaphor for differentiation and the idea that little things can make a big difference. So I the goldfish is a little bit personal personal to me. My first pet was a goldfish. So I remember I was six years old, I was at like a carnival, I threw that ping pong ball. Oh yeah. <laughs> walked home with my bag of goldfish. Yeah and I remember my goldfish was pretty small, maybe one, one and a half inches. It was pretty small. And it turns out from when I did research is that the average size of a goldfish is just between three to three and a half inches. That's what average is. But the world's largest goldfish is nearly 20 inches. Wow! And we're not talking like koi or carp, we're talking just average common everyday goldfish Mm -hmm. and that intrigued me I mean how is that even possible that you have average which is you know between your thumb and your and your pointing finger and like 20 inches which is about the size of an average domesticated house cat six times the size it would be like Josh you walking out of your house this morning right and bumping into somebody who's three stories tall it's a big dude or
1: dudette
3: (laughs) so (laughs) I'm like, I said to myself, how is that even possible? And so I started to look at the growth factors for a goldfish. And the irony is it turns out there's five main reasons why they grow, but those same five reasons apply to each and everyone that's on this podcast right now. There are five factors that grow your business. And so I'll break them down quick and let's see if Ben, Josh, you and Megan can get what they are. So, that we've probably all heard the first one. So if you're a goldfish, the size of the bowl or the pond that you're in will determine eventually how big you can get. So this is a direct correlation. I've heard. Bigger that. the bowl, bigger the pond. So if you're in business, let's see you can get this first. What's the size of the bowl or the pond?
1: I could guess, but I've, yeah, I've, well, I've already done the research and I know the answer. <laughs> ah,
3: there you go. But okay, throw it in. What do you got? Uh, Would that be the market? That's the market. Exactly, right? So think about it. It makes sense. The bigger the market you serve, the more you can grow. And so the second one is is very intuitive as well. Uh, For a goldfish, their growth is also impacted by the other goldfish in the bowl or the pond. And this one's an inverse relationship. So the less goldfish, typically, the more they can grow, the more crowded it is, the harder it's for them to grow. So who are the other goldfish? This is like the layup question.
2: Competitors. Megan, you didn't do
3: your research. Who are the other goldfish? Competitors. <laughs> she nailed it. Your competition. Absolutely. <laughs> so the third one is, um, and it makes sense of business, right? The more competition you have, the harder it's going to be to grow. The third one is is a little more difficult. The third one is the quality of the, the water that that goldfish is in. So the... The clarity of the water is important. The amount of nutrients that are in the water, and so the more clear, the you know, the less cloudiness, and the more cle- you know, nutrients, the more they typically grow. And so that in business, that's simply you know, kind of the environment or the economy that you're in. And you could think about the nutrients could be the ability, especially if you're a startup, to like grow your business to get access to capital. And that clarity could be things like consumer confidence. So the fourth reason is uh, how a goldfish does in its first 120 days. So how they get out of the gate is absolutely key. In fact, let's see if Josh can get this. Uh, (laughs) No, you know, I'm going to throw this to Ben. Ben, what do you call a baby goldfish? Do you know this? Startup. Well, (laughs) that's what it is in business. But
1: a baby (laughs) goldfish—it's an educated
3: guess. Yeah, that was good. A baby goldfish is a fry, fry, small fry, as in small fry. They're really—they're tiny when they're born. They have a hundred brothers and sisters. So how they do in the first four months—and you nailed it—it's the equivalent is how you do as a startup. Or think about it: if you offer a new product or service how that does in its first four months is usually an indicator of how well or how big it's going to get. Um, here's the fifth thing. So we uh, recap, we've had the size of the bowl, which was the market. The amount of other goldfish was competition. The quality of the water was the economy. And the first four months is how you do as a startup. The fifth thing is the genetic makeup of the goldfish. So what is that goldfish born with that separates it from all of the other goldfish? And the stronger their genes are and the more that they're separated from the other goldfish, typically the larger they grow. On the converse, the weaker their genes are, the more they're like all of the other goldfish, the harder it's gonna be to grow. So what's, what's genetic makeup in business?
2: Your brand, who you are. Your Your brand, but
3: importantly, who you are compared to everyone else or how you are different.
2: Your your value proposition, yes.
3: Yeah, how you are, Mm -hmm. we would say differentiation, how you stand out, and this is the crux of the goldfish, is how do you stand out in a sea of sameness? And so the goldfish is a metaphor for, the idea of that little things are important in terms of making a difference. Now, the color originally, uh, the first three colors were an ode to New Orleans um, and specifically to its most famous event Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras, absolutely. Mm. We've got some partiers in the. Oh, yeah. Right here. Um, Marcus so Yeah, the three colors of Mardi Gras are purple, green, and, gold. and so the reason why it's an ode to New Orleans is that there's one word that comes from New Orleans that really exemplifies this idea of doing these little things for your customers. And it's a word that Mark Twain in his autobiography said was a word worth traveling to New Orleans to get. And that one single word is called Lanyard. And Lanyap is a Creole word. It means literally means the gift or to give more. And it's simply the practice that started in the 1800s that if you're in business, it's commonplace for the business in New Orleans to do a little something extra, something that gets added, quote unquote, for good measure, to go beyond just the transaction, to do a little bit more to honor the relationship. And so th- that was the, that was kind of the idea. The, I launched it by doing a crowdsourcing project and I explained the concept to people and I go, I want to find a thousand and one examples of businesses that do that little something extra. And, uh, I don't think I knew what I was getting into. I, I'll ask you guys, <laughs> have you guys ever collected a thousand and one of anything
2: that's you know I can imagine the amount of data and insights you uh, got from that that's a lot
1: I would <laughs> I, I mean a 101 sounds like it was a little more uh, feasible right I could have done a 501
3: and it would have been impressive first couple of weeks I had hundred and fifty examples people are, are you know sending to me pretty quickly but then you run out of your network and you have I had to continue to go the the short story is it took me a little over two years to collect a thousand and one,
2: wow.
3: and and I and I tell people I probably sh- should have taken advice that someone once gave me about cross country skiing, and this is the like the best piece of advice ever. Um, they told me that if I ever decided I wanted to do cross country skiing, here was the advice: start with a small country.
2: And I'm assuming you didn't take that advice. Then.
3: I didn't. I didn't. I, I, yeah. That's good advice if you ever That's think about advice, doing a yeah. cross-country road trip as well. <laughs> uh, but I, I didn't. And it, it took a little over two years. But what was neat is, and you mentioned this, Josh, when you start to look at it, or Megan mentioned it, when you look at a data set of that size, mm-hmm. you really start to see patterns of, that develop. Mm-hmm and it turned out when when i looked across all thousand plus there's nearly 1100 now is that there was 12 distinct ways that you could do these little extras Um, half of which are what we call value so little things that you do to drive added value and then the other six are in a bucket that we call maintenance which is really about the effort how easy do you make it for your customer? What are the little things that you do to kind of remove friction and make it easier when your customer has to deal with you? Um, yeah, so that was that was the that was the purple goldfish. It was uh, came out in two thousand and twelve, so just seven and a half years ago.
2: Can I just say that I love how the marketing brain works? That you got <laughs> all of this from the little goldfish that you brought home from the fair. <laughs> It's, it's beautiful. I love it. Stan. Well,
3: well, I'll tell you part of the, <laughs> the other inspiration was if you ever stayed at a Kimpton hotel. Uh, I have not. Yeah. Okay. So Kimpton was one of the first examples I got into the project. They were one of the inspirations behind it. And Kimpton, you know, does a lot of little things. If you've ever stayed at a hotel, Monaco or any mm-hmm. of the other hotels within the, the chain, None of them are called Kempton, by the way. But they do just a lot of little things. Always, you know, gourmet coffee for free in the lobby in the morning. In the afternoon, they do wine tasting. They're super pet friendly. A lot of them you can, like, you can take out a bike in the city and ride around on a bike if you want. But the one thing that I thought was brilliant, and they've actually discontinued this because they got acquired by IHG, but for the longest time, for 15 years, at some of the the Kemptons, if you were there and you're staying and maybe, may, let's say maybe you're getting a little lonely, you know, not like Robert Kraft lonely, okay? <laughs> let's, keep, let's keep it PG, right? You're there with your family. You're missing your family pet. What Kempton would do is give you a pet goldfish for your stay.
2: Oh, my goodness.
3: Yeah, and a program that they called Guppy Love.
2: Guppy Love. (laughs) And they
3: encourage you, they would feed it for you if you wanted. They encourage you to name it. But I love that as just a little, that was part of the inspiration, a little signature thing that they do, a little extra, that gives their customers a reason to talk about that experience. And we all know as marketers, you know, the best marketing that you get is from your current customers telling the story of your brand. Mm -hmm. So why don't you give them something to talk about? I think in my mind, marketing is way too focused on the funnel and chasing the prospect. I think as much as we spend time on getting someone into the funnel, I think we spend at least an equal amount of that time on creating an experience for the customer's, that we already have
1: well and it it kills my wife but i have to tell this story whenever we travel i don't care where we stay we always just wait and we try to find deals on the road or pick up those little truck stop i say my requirement is i gotta have the free belgian waffles like find me the waffles (laughs) that's the place that i want to stay and it's, it's the smallest thing but literally i will go you know wherever the waffles are and I, I'll, I've also heard you tell the story about Doubletree Hotels. I have stayed at a Doubletree, and uh, mm-hmm. we did when we traveled once, and we kept going back down for the cookies. I don't know <laughs> if they limit how many you can have, but, yes, those are amazing. Yeah, but it's
2: why customer experience trick. is so important, right? Yeah. Yeah, the,
1: the, yeah, the Doubletree chocolate
3: chip cookie is just, we I got so many people submit that. You know, that's such a big part of the fabric of their brand. Mm-hmm this idea of this warm welcome when you walk through the door in fact i have a friend used to be the cmo at kodak his name's jeff Hazlett. he once told me he says i love those cookies so much he says i dream about them when i stay at other hotels <laughs> <There you go. laughs> they're, they're that but it's that great little warm mm-hmm. welcome yep. and i they're on the they're on track they've given away over 400 million Chocolate chip cookies.
1: Wow. Wow. Note yeah. to self. Now, do you think they do you think this entire time though they are they are tracking how much value comes back to them because of those?
3: Yeah, what's our OA on the
1: cookies? <laughs>
3: yeah, absolutely. Abs- you know, absolutely. In fact, uh Jay Bear, if you know uh-huh. Jay, is a yep. great thought leader, marketer, convince and convert. His latest book is called Talk Triggers. And Jay actually quantified the value that they have in terms of how you know he did a research study with uh, one of his partners and it was you know x amount of people that talked about that experience and you know here's the thing i mean that is literally the best form of marketing because if you think about the long term value of a customer studies will sh- will will show you that if somebody's been referred to your brand they stay longer as a customer and they spend more money So up to twice the amount of money over the course of their lifetime. And here's where the magic gets interesting. If I've been referred myself, you know what I'm more apt to do? I'm more apt to tell other people. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: In fact, I'll refer up to twice the amount of people over the course of my lifetime. So, you know, the cost per act, we, we talk about, you know, acquisition, what it costs to acquire a customer. You know, somebody who comes through your door because they've been they've been sent there by someone who's a current customer can be upwards of four times as valuable to you over their lifetime. Wow.
1: So, in in Pink Goldfish, because I know that a lot of the concepts in the whole customer experience carries across the entire series of of books that you've done, let's talk a little bit about Pink Goldfish specifically, and I I think you mentioned the the Flossum framework, and I love that you are a fan of acronyms, and what's the term for the the mashup words? Uh, A portmanteau. Yes, that. Uh, so let's, let's talk a little bit about that and pink goldfish in laying this out for people. So if if we want to find and embrace our weirdness and let our freak flag fly, how do we do that?
3: Well, let me, let me give you a quick progression of how we got from purple to pink, because pink is literally purple on steroids, but I think it's important (laughs) to, to take a step back. Okay. What I, what I learned from looking at really leading brands that really embraced it for the customer and purple goldfish. What I quickly realized is that the really good brands not only got it for the customer, but they use this exact same thing for their employees. In fact, many of them put a, a much bigger emphasis on the employee first and the customer second. And so green goldfish, which came out in 2013 was I didn't learn my lesson. Another thousand examples. Um, last time I did that, by the way, uh, <laughs> fool me. You can't fool me three times. But I, I, that was 15 different drivers of employee engagement. And then I, the realization I did the golden goldfish, the third color, was based on the realization that you don't treat everyone the same. You know, originally I thought, well, you treat all your customers the same and you treat all your employees the same. I no longer believe that. Research will, will show you that your top 20% of customers drive 80% of your profitability. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, for your employees, probably the top 20% of your employees drive 80% of the value that you create. And so it's so important that we understand who our vital few are. Because you don't treat everyone the same, you treat everyone fairly. Now that was gold, that I thought originally maybe it was just gonna be a trilogy because that's the three colors of Mardi Gras. Then I did the blue goldfish. I've done work over the last five years with IBM. And so blue examined the role of technology on how that's gonna impact the customer experience, but also the future of work um, and how that could drive employee engagement Red, which was the fifth color, was all about purpose. Um, So blue was, the inspiration was around Bluetooth. There's a really interesting story there on why blue for Bluetooth and the story behind that, 10th century Danish king. Red was inspired, the whole thing about purpose and becoming for purpose in business was inspired by U2 and Bono Mm. and the Red Campaign, if you're familiar with that. Mm Mm-hmm. And then um, about six years ago, I met my co-author, a guy named Dave Rendell. So Dave Rendell's platform is a thing called Freak Factor. And Dave is all about differentiation. If you can imagine, he's about six foot seven, and he literally wears head-to-toe pink. He he stands out <laughs> no matter where you see him. He's a really interesting guy. Freak factor is this idea that what makes you weak is also what makes you strong. And the things that make you weird hold the key to what makes you wonderful. And so his book freak factor was, it it touched on a lot of things, things from like parenting relationships, uh, education, the educational system, business leadership, um, you know, it ran the gamut. And I looked at in, in seeing Dave and presenting a number of times with them. I'm like, this really, I think has a lot of application to marketing. And so we got together a couple of years ago and we we're like, let's focus. We looked at over 250 examples, learned my lesson. <laughs> and sure. we tried to, we tried to examine what are the key things that allow brands to stand out in a crowded marketplace. And here's the thing. We're, we're all marketers. You know, we, We're bred on the idea that differentiation is the, the end all and be all. But I love this. This is a quote from Young Me Moon. She wrote a book called Different. She's a Harvard professor. She says, even though we know that differentiation is important, she says the number of brands that are actually able to achieve what she calls competitive separation is depressingly small. And so this really fueled us. And I think one of the biggest mistakes that we make as marketers that we get infatuated with the concept of benchmarking. Right. So what do we do? We, you know, we look to whoever the leader is, and we look at what they're doing, and what do we end up what do we end up doing?
2: Some form of copying, yeah, same yeah, thing. Yeah,
3: <laughs> and it, that doesn't lead to differentiation;
2: mm-hmm.
3: it leads to sameness. And I'll quote, I'll quote Jay and his Jay, Jay Bear and his co-author Daniel Lemon. They have this great saying: "They're like same is lame, <laughs> right?" And so, two hundred and fifty examples. It Look, it turned out there was two kind of major keys of how you could do this. And it turned out there were seven different types that we came across. And Josh, to your point, that that made up what we call the Flossum
1: framework. Okay, nice. Yeah. So that's an acronym. Let's dive right into it. What does it mean? Yeah, So um, so it is not only an acronym
3: because each of those letters stands for each of the seven types, but it's also a combination of two words. And it's the idea, and this is the central tenet of the book, that your flaws are actually what makes you awesome. Or as we say when you put them both together, what makes you flawsome. And it's it's simply this. So I'll start out. that The cornerstone of the whole thing is the F. And it's this idea of what we call flaunting. And flaunting is about... You know, we're all unique in our own way. And flaunting is about owning what makes you unique and not being able afraid to put it out there without shame. We see flaunting as not something as negative, but something that's really positive. It's like being comfortable in your own skin that you can actually be yourself um, and the brand that ma- the, the unique parts of what makes you, what makes up your brand. And so flaunting's the cornerstone. We, we've got this whole thing called a flaunting matrix, and there's four animals, and there's a flaunting zone. I won't get into it, but suffice to say, if you pick up the book, it, it's, it's very intricate. So F is for flaunting. The L is for what we call lopsiding. And so lopsiding exists in this matrix up in the way top right. And this is the idea of doing more of what makes you weird or weak or just your simple uniqueness. This is consciously doubling and tripling down on the things that make you um, different. And um, it's it's a great, you know, this is about taking what inherently makes you different and just really turning up the volume on it. 11 to we'll get to yeah (laughs) absolutely uh maybe maybe even higher than 11 but um the a is for antagonizing and so antagonizing is the idea that um you can either do more of what makes you unique or less of what makes you normal but doing it in a way that actually antagonizes some people and here's the thing You know, we spend so much time in marketing of thinking about who our target market is. I think we should spend a little time to think about who our anti-target market is. Mm. And if we can figure out ways on that anti-target market, the people that we don't want, if we can figure out ways of kind of needling them or pushing them away, what does that do for the ones that we want? It, it's going to attract them. Because here's the, here's the thing. Too many times we try to be all things to all people. And when you try to be for everyone, who are you for? No one. You're for no one. Yeah, so you, I think, and antagonizing is really fun, the, the W stands for withholding. And so this is the exact opposite of lopsiding. And this is more about looking at what everyone else does as quote-unquote normal. And withholding is about figuring out ways you can take some things away um, and hold back and maybe even subtract and do less in some areas that others consider as a given. And by, believe it or not, but sometimes by doing less as opposed to doing more, You can stand out. The the S, and we joke about this, um, Dave and I will both tell you when we're doing a keynote that we won't tell you what swerving is. That's the S, is swerving. And the idea is we're going to actually withhold and not tell you what's in that. In fact, we're going to lopsided it and flaunt the fact that we're not going to tell you and for some people, because they're going to want to know what the explanation is, it's going to antagonize them.
1: You're killing us with nice. the suspense.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: Nicely done. So, so I actually will tell you what swerving is. So swerving is kind of like, it's not as crazy as lopsiding, and it's not as, in some ways, as drastic as withholding. But these are kind of you know, first steps maybe to kind of test the waters of either doing more of what makes you unique or doing less of what everyone else does as normal. The O is interesting. The O is stands for opposing. And so when everyone starts to follow the leader, what opposing brands do is they, they do the exact 180 and go in the exact opposite direction. The M in, in Flossum, the seven type, is very much in the spirit of a purple goldfish. It's what we call micro-weirding. And so micro-weirding is simply all of the little things that you do um, to either lean in, especially to what makes you unique. And it's about how do you bring that to life in the experience that you provide. So that's that's the Flossum Seven types. Ooh.
2: That's, That's, there's a lot there. <laughs>
3: it, there is a lot. I feel like there, we yeah. could break
2: down each one of those into its own little podcast. All right, Stan, I want to talk a little bit about uh, something that you've you've got written in in your notes here is that this really requires brands to be brave. And I love this. Like it's not for the faint of heart. Why is being so different and really doing differentiation well so hard for brands, in your opinion? <sighs>
3: Well, I think, again, I think there, there are things that we do as marketers that get us in the way of, of being different. Benchmarking is, I think, number one, one of the, one of the key things. We, I, I think so, so much focusing on the target market that we forget that there are other, other groups out there that we don't want anything to be part of our brand. Uh, they just get in the way. And I, and I think the bigger the brand you are, the harder it is, because once you start getting legal involved in the process, sure. you know, w- once you start, um, you know, sales becomes part of it. Um, even people that are on the creative side that want to control the brand, you would think sometimes that creative would be the first one to do this. But, you know, sometimes you got the brand police out there that aren't going to let you do kind of the unique things. And I think, you know, people today don't get rewarded for doing big things or making, you know, so I, I think what's incumbent upon anybody who wants to do this, especially the bigger you are, is start small and not be afraid to try some things. And not be afraid to maybe poke in some areas and not be afraid to be who you are. And so what we have in the book is some really neat assessments that allow you to explore both your strengths and your weaknesses to see where there may be opportunities to start.
1: So we wouldn't have to necessarily just go out on a limb like Nike with something that could be uh, seen as as political and and make a big statement and jump in that way.
3: What Nike did, like it or not, was brilliant because they have always been a challenger brand, and they've never been afraid to essentially, especially, jump to the side of the athlete and right or wrong support who they are. And so, to me, that was a I mean, again, that was a very bold way. But if that wasn't core to who they were, I don't think it would have worked. And if you look at I forget how long that was, was that, that 10 months ago or whenever it was, they've actually done
1: pretty well coming out of that. And that, yeah, I was kind of wondering about that, too. I mean, it would make sense that before you really figure out your niche and what works and and how you can go against the grain, I would assume you would want to base that off of some of your core values, your mission statement, et cetera.
3: Right. And I think the, the great brands really examine their reason for being, and they're not afraid to show the rough edges. You know, if they're small... They're not afraid to play small, and I think one of the challenges that we have is, and it's it's funny because small brands, what do they try to do? They try to actually look like bigger brands. And what the irony is, what do big brands try to do? Look like smaller brands. (laughs) Yeah, they try to they try (laughs) to embrace what it is to be a startup and and actually be small. And the irony is, why not? You know, their advantage just to be to being big. That's that's not a bad thing. Same thing. There are great advantages to being small. So what's interesting is if you can start to understand that every weakness has corresponding strength is when it really starts to open some windows.
2: Yeah, well, I think your point here, too, is that it's so important to take the time to really evaluate who you are as a brand. I see this a lot where people just kind of jump to, like, let's just start doing some tactics and get out there and whatnot, and they don't spend the proper time really analyzing who they are as a brand, what they stand for, you know, what they're promising in their brand experience, all those things that go into kind of your brand story, so... Uh, I think, you know, going to what you're saying is it's important to take that time to do that.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, one of the one of the examples we feature in the book, and this is differentiation by doing less, is, you know, if you're in retail, what's the biggest day of the year? Black Friday. Mm -hmm. Black Friday, right? Three years ago, what did REI do?
1: Hashtag opt out opt
3: outside, right? We're, we're
1: at, He's prepared this for was, this.
3: Yeah, this is the, <laughs> this is the most important day of the year. This is the year we actually cross from the red into the black. Mm-hmm. And you know what they said? We're not about that. Mm-hmm. We think our employees should be with their families. We think people should mm-hmm. be outside as opposed to waiting in line at all hours. And, and let's be honest, Black Friday became ridiculous. Yep. You know, it became Black Thursday in, <laughs> yeah, in a lot true. of instances. True. And in the last three years, they've created a movement around it. Other brands like Title IX have followed suit. And here's what I love. They just didn't do it, uh, they, they went all in. Not only did they shut down 150 stores, they literally shut down their website. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, you couldn't even, mm. and, and I love that they've, not, they've doubled and tripled down on it to actually make it a movement. And the importance of Black Friday has diminished greatly in the last three years.
1: Yeah, that's awesome to take the stand like that. And uh, Stan, I I think I saw that you did some, uh, some TEDx speeches over your time as well. I'm sure you're familiar with the Simon Sinek and start with why TED talk.
3: Yeah, I mean that if I think the whole world has seen that, but if you haven't seen it, it is a great one. And, you know, this is so key because people, this is, this is Simon's, I think, great takeaway, is people don't buy what you do. They don't even buy how you do it, although I might argue with that a little bit. They buy why you do it. And, and, and so I think that's a key insight. Also, you know, 80% of how we view other people, this is not Simon, this is a, a buddy of mine, Chris Malone, and Susan T. Fix, 80% of how we view other people comes down to just two things, warmth and competence. And over 50% of how we view brands, same thing, just warmth and competence. And so why wouldn't you want to create these little clues, these little things that you do to reinforce that sense of warmth and who you genuinely are as well as do little things to, to really ratchet up that level of competence. Little, you know, little thoughtful things that you do. And that's a tenant of both purple and pink.
2: So that goes to, to one of my favorites of the the Flossom, which is the M. <laughs> Micro weirding, <laughs> yeah. which I'm totally going to uh, use that word from now on. But uh, this is for me, and correct me if I'm wrong, but this is all about, you know, customer experience design, right? You know, what are those things, again, that you're doing that are differentiating you from the experience perspective? Absolutely. Um why why is that so important especially when we're looking at you know if you have something that's a little bit more of a commodity uh why is experience design so important
3: well here here's the thing we're we're all marketers on this podcast so i can say this and not feel bad about it it's no longer tell and sell marketing right Mm -hmm. your brand is no longer what you tell people it is it just isn't it's what they experience it's what your customer experiences it's how they feel and I and I shared this earlier it's most importantly it's what they tell others about that experience and if you're not creating signature differentiation if you're not doing the little you're not leaving the little breadcrumbs and clues that give people a reason to talk about that experience then you're gonna languish you're going to become a commodity mm-hmm because it, people, you know, 70% of people, and this is studied, will spend more for a better experience. 30% of people will only buy based on price. And we talked about people that we don't want as a brand. I would never, ever want to compete to try to get that 30%. Right.
1: So what do you say to that old mantra, the customer is always right?
3: i i i believe that the the customer can always believe that they're right
1: (laughs) (laughs) well said well said
3: (laughs) right but here here's the deal i'll give you one of our favorite examples from the entire book comes from a place called the alamo draft house now here's the deal the alamo draft house rated by entertainment weekly best movie theater in america There's 30 something of them all around the country. We just got one here in Raleigh. It's an awesome experience. I can tell you this. They take movie going super serious, great food, comfortable seats, um, beer selection out the wazoo. But here's the deal. When you walk in that movie theater, they have a red line policy, no talking, no texting. Nice. And so a few years ago, One of their customers in Austin, where they started, um, got tossed from the movie theater because she was talking and texting. And she left, she just berated them, left the most angry voicemail ever. Now, here's the deal. Um, Were they wrong to potentially throw her out of the theater? Maybe. And what will we normally do when we have a customer that leaves us a bad review or leaves us a complaint? I think what most businesses would do, we would go and apologize. We'd refund their money, maybe even give them a a gift certificate. But here's the deal. You know what they did? They didn't call that customer back. You knew they called instead the lawyers. And they said, hey, can we use this? And they didn't think about it, but for a second they said, that person knew they were being recorded. Oh, (laughs) next thing you know that showed up on their blog it went viral that's awesome they've now created a PSA that they play in the theater that's fantastic (laughs) (laughs) And, and it's gotten millions of views and here's the deal you know think about that person you know even if she did even if that didn't go viral the next time she got together with her friends she had 10 of her girlfriends with her and she you know railed Against the Alamo Draft House because they kicked her out because she was texting. You know what half of her friends were are thinking? Deserved it. Well, think of her. Yeah, they're also thinking, "Where's that movie theater? I want to go there." <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know what? The other half are going, "Oh man, they're a bunch of jerks. Mm-hmm. I'd never go there." And that's exactly what the Alamo Draft House wants. They don't want those people because they, without those people, they're going to create a better experience for customers that are like them, that are passionate about the movie going experience.
1: And I'm starting to see that more on social media, especially Twitter where it used to be, yeah, we'll give you a gift card. Please delete your comment, you know, five years ago. Now it's, they call you out and make you feel ashamed (laughs) of the complaint that you have and they, and they don't hold back anymore.
3: I love it. it. Uh, My, my co-author Dave was just telling me about, um, I I think it's a resort that it's out in, um, I think it's Steamboat out in Utah or it's one of the, the Colorado resorts. Yeah. And, you know, like people would complain, give them a one star and go, you know, there are not enough groomed, groomed trails <laughs> at, at Snowbird or whatever it was, or, mm. um, or st- that Steamboat's Colorado. I think it's Snowbird.
1: Snowbird's Utah.
3: Yeah. Snowbird. And and they're like, yeah, you we're all about, you know, powder and, you know,
1: who can- we're not for you. You want groomers, come here and ski in Michigan. Yeah. <laughs> you want the blue ice, you go to Michigan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You'll, have, you'll
3: be You can go on your ice skates if you want. The blue, the blue powder. So, <laughs> and, and Megan, you said that, you know, I think we have to leave breadcrumbs. One of the fun mm-hmm. ones, and this comes from a great book called The Power of Moments.
2: Love um, that book, by the way.
3: Which is the Heath mm-hmm. Brothers. And they really talk about, you know, for the experience... We spend a lot of time trying to correct things. We don't spend enough time to actually create these little peaks. And, and their studies have shown that you can get like a nine to one return on creating a peak moment. And one of the ones they share is a great micro-weirding example. They talk about the Magic Castle Hotel in Southern California. And here's the deal. It is the most reviewed hotel on all of TripAdvisor, right? thirty mm-hmm. Last time I looked, over 3,400 five-star reviews. Wow. And here's the deal. It's because they do a lot of little things that endear themselves to their customers. And it's a great example. One is withholding. They don't do mini bars at the Magic Castle. And so you can't get a soda in your room or a bag of M&M's. But here's the deal. If you want that, you simply go down to the lobby and they will give you a soda or a bag of M&M's for free. Mm. Right? And they do all sorts of little things. But my favorite by far, and, and the Heath brothers, Chip and Dan featured it in The Power of Moments. They have a pool just like everyone else does in Southern California but their pool has a little something different. There's a little red phone on the wall next to the pool and they have a sign above it. It says popsicle hotline. <laughs> and so you're, you know, you're sitting there in the California, Southern California sun, you're getting a little hot. You, you don't even have to dial. You just pick up the phone. You tell them the quantity and the flavors that you want. And literally one minute later, they walk out with a silver tray and white gloves. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and deliver you your popsicles, poolside. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. fantastic. You know, is that that's kind of a little weird, right? That's way out there. Yeah, but people remember that.
2: But it's Absol- yeah. absolutely, It's different. It's weird. And I love that you you mentioned this um, when you were talking about uh, experience design. It's a signature experience. Mm. I think. Right oftentimes I hear, you know, from different brands, like, yeah, we have great customer experience. That's our differentiator, but it's not really cause it's not that signature experience. It's something that everybody else has. Right. Right. And so like these moments, like white glove, popsicle, silver tray, you know, that's a signature experience. Um, signature. so how do, how do brands go about designing or finding what mm. that signature experience is? Where do they start?
3: So, I'm actually in the process of actually doing Purple Goldfish 2.0 Ooh. with uh, with a guy named Evan Carroll. Evan and I partnered up. On, we
2: love Evan. Evan came and yeah. spoke with us. Yeah.
3: Yeah, he's awesome. We partnered. He was my first co-author ever. We partnered together on Blue Goldfish. He's got he's got a couple advanced degrees in um, information architecture, and um, he's a really interesting, fascinating guy. We've we've put together a process that we call the idea process. Mm-hmm. And so the, it really breaks it down. Uh, and it's this idea of the, I is this idea of inquiry and it's asking the questions of, I think mainly who do you want st- to, what do you want to stand for as a brand, but also doing the inquiry to understand what your customer values, right? Because mm-hmm. not everything's equal. Um, I forget what the, the song line, everything counts in large amounts, right? Uh, not, not There's one or two things that they're going to want as a customer that you need to be really good on. And that, I think if you can do that inquiry of who you want to be, what your customer values you're then ready for the next step and that's the design piece Mm -hmm. and that's literally and there's all sorts of things in the book we talk about how you can look at the customer journey to start to see areas or you know moments of truth within that journey that are maybe areas that you can create a peak moment or an area that you can smooth out some friction and then once you come up with those ideas, you're ready to then jump to the E in the idea process. And that's the idea of evaluate. So how do you go through the process of testing these things? You know, you want to make sure you validate. Um, you might even create, once you've tested it, a full pilot. And only when you validate it, you know that it's it's getting the the you know, the the return that you're seeking and it's truly becoming that signature thing, only then are you ready for the last part of the four-part idea process, which is advance. So then how do you actually take it? How do you proceed, you know, create the process behind it? How do you train your employees to be able to be consistent in delivering it um and so i think you know it's it's not a simple thing Mm -hmm. you definitely have to do the work and i think if you do the the, especially that eye piece correctly um, you do that inquiry piece correctly Um, and there's a little bit of that In, in pink goldfish we actually call it the four a's but it's kind of similar it's awareness it's acceptance So awareness is about understanding what makes you weird or understanding areas that you might be able to exploit that everyone else does as normal. And then it's acceptance. It's actually wrapping your arms around what makes you unique. You know, sometimes that's hard to actually accept and appreciate. And then the last two A's in the pink goldfish kind of format is what we call alignment. So if you understand what makes you different, you have to spend the time to make sure that your employees understand it, that your website reflects it. If you've got a showroom or an office, you want to make sure that that physical space reflects that uniqueness. And then if you do those three A's, you're ready for, and this is where you can take it to 11, is this idea of what we call amplification.
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
3: And that's the idea of either maximizing, turning it up to 11, or we like the idea of also, in some areas, turning it down to zero and doing less as a way of standing out. And what's brilliant, in some areas, if you can do less, that may be a way to free up resources to take things to an eleven.
2: Sure. And I love you mentioned alignment, because I think in any customer experience design, I would say alignment slash consistency is your make or break it. If that is not there, it's not going to be successful. So that's a That's a great, great point that you mentioned.
3: Yeah. And here's the thing. We like we like to think that, you know, this this shouldn't be something that you do once a year.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: And it's it's definitely not something that you do with a campaign mindset. Because the worst thing you can do is actually start something and create an expectation that the next time somebody comes in and has that experience, it's taken away. So these things are a commitment. They're not a campaign. Um, So we like the idea. It's not a random act of, of kindness. It's not even a branded act of kindness. It is you know, this idea of a lanyap act of kindness, that's something that's embedded and part of your brand and the value that you provide.
2: I love that customer experience. <laughs> I say this all the time, customer experience, yes, cannot be a marketing campaign. It is a part of your culture, a part of the DNA of who you are as a brand. Thank you. Absolutely. <laughs>
1: Now, Stan, you you mentioned the size of the fishbowl earlier. My question in scale to this is you have small organizations with limited funds, limited resources, and then you also have the opposite side, the enterprise that has the tools, the technology. Is this scalable? Can everybody from a small startup to in between a big enterprise uh, use these same concepts?
3: Everyone can do it and everyone should do it, in my opinion. I think that smaller organizations have an inherent advantage in doing this because they don't have the institutional knowledge
1: mm-hmm.
3: or the quarterly pressure that sometimes inhibit larger brands from making these moves.
1: Yeah, good point. Sure. Yep. Yeah. All right, Stan. Well, thank you so much. I mean, it's been great to chat with you. But before we let you go, we do have the uh, the final three questions that we want to ask. That we ask all of our guests on the Marketers in Motion podcast. Getting a little closer to home, uh, who or what inspires you?
3: Uh, I'll go. I'll go with the what. You know, what inspires me is to be kind of a perpetual learner. And through my writing, I don't. I don't feel like I've ever just figured it out. There's always more insight that I can get. And and that's what gets me up in the morning. And I, I hope for my entire life, I become kind of a perpetual learner.
1: Okay, then I've got a subset on that because I don't think we actually asked you the question, the starting with why. Is that also, or what would you say for why do you do what you do?
3: Yeah, so my why is to shift the paradigm in marketing. Mm. And and I think I mentioned it earlier. I want people to think differently as they think about marketing. And I think that marketing should be at least 51% of what we do should be focused on the customers that we have, as well as the employees that are delivering that experience. And I think marketing can actually own, you know, who owns customer experience mm-hmm. you know is it the operational side of the business is it the sales side of the business i think marketing is in a unique space to own this agreed yeah and uh yeah so that that's my mantra you know one of the things am I'm, I'm lopsiding and i appreciate you guys giving me an opportunity by the end of 2020 my goal is to do every ama chapter throughout the country
2: Awesome. That's awesome. Yes. By the way, Stan is a fellow AMAer. Oh, that's great. Yes. Um, and has been very supportive of AMA. So, yeah.
3: Yeah. We love and that. I think this
1: is number 45. So I've got <laughs> another 27 <laughs> or so to go. Awesome. Well, thanks for keeping us on the list. That's great. Okay. What is your favorite personal development, business, or marketing related book outside of the Goldfish series? So I'll mention one that I think is
3: applies both from a personal and a business perspective. It's called the human brand. And so the human brand was, was written by Chris Malone and Susan T Fisk. I remember I I mentioned before that concept of warmth and competence. Mm -hmm. And um, it is such to me, a game changer because, you know, we like to think that we're rational enlightened beings Well, you know, a big part of how we're driven is in that kind of lizard brain. And they really boil down in exploring both warmth and competence, why that's inherent in how we what we do, what we you know, why we do what we do. And I think it's a very simple thing of understanding about how we can elevate and be seen as both high warmth and high competence if we wanna succeed as an individual or as a brand in the marketplace.
1: And then if you could boil down what you learned in your career to one piece of advice for others, what would that be?
3: I'm gonna say this is a two-parter. One is, if I could give anyone advice, is have a clear idea idea of where you wanna go. I think that's more than half the battle is establishing that goal or having the presence to understand where you want to be in five years or 10 years. And uh, but the flip side of that is one, having that a vision, the flip side of it is, is to have, you know, the quote unquote grit Mm -hmm. to actually be able to persevere. Um, If you don't have either of those things, it's, it's going to be a hard road.
1: Yeah. And I yeah. think off of some of the past podcasts that we've done, taking that first step, the entrepreneur panel that we just had, a lot of that was you can sit around and make all these plans. And I, you should start with the end in mind. And you should have a business plan. And you should have an idea of who you think your target audience is going to be. But if you never take that first step and break it down into baby steps, I mean, you're never going to go anywhere, guaranteed.
3: Yeah. And have the grit through the highs and the, you know, especially the lows to be stubborn. You know, to Mm -hmm. me, having grit is about, um, you know, sometimes, you know, seeing a different reality and just being able to claw to to to, you know, bring something to life. So I think that's that's key. It's uh, you know, I don't know if I would ever gotten through the thousand and one if I didn't have a little bit of that grit.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And what? So, okay, last question. One one question, because I hear all these interesting things from you when you're not doing all of this this marketing and this work that seems to be happening 24 hours a day, what do you what do you do for fun?
3: By the way, I only work half days. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah, sometimes a little more, like 14 or 16 hours. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> but usually <laughs> just a half day. Um, so yeah, I've, I have two boys who are 12 and 13, which are really, as my co-author would say, are really odd names. But we like them. I'm kidding. Thomas, Thomas <laughs> nice, is my nice. oldest, and James, and they're awesome. they they play a pretty high level of soccer, so that has us traveling a lot. My Excellent. wife and I, Jennifer, and we we like. I'm I love to travel. So I, I was fortunate. Like two weeks ago, I was in Singapore, which is the 16th country I've had the privilege of speaking in. Oh wow. wow. And so I am I've lived overseas a few times and so I, I just love experiencing and I'll share one of the things that makes me weird is that every country I go to and it's now 40 plus the first thing I do literally my first meal is at McDonald's every country really? yeah because what, what's gonna, the go-to meal then it is it is interesting because every McDonald's has... A signature one or two items that you can't get anywhere else. Okay, and also the experience is a little bit nuanced, and so you you have this global brand, but you know there's definitely nuance to it. So so do you order
2: all the signature items then in in each country? Okay. In
3: fact, sometimes you don't even have to leave the country. I start. I was lucky enough to start this year speaking in Hawaii. And I, and I was there for california grocers and i did ama hawaii it was just awesome but i went to i went to mcdonald's in hawaii you know what they have on the menu ah he said why no they have
1: <laughs> that been they have too, you literally can get <laughs> spam and rice and oh, eggs for oh friends. that's yeah. right spam is huge in hawaii isn't it
2: yeah that's awesome
1: Who knew that? uh I love spam. Can you get all the different kinds? Because I've seen smoked spam. I've seen cheese infused spam. I've seen (laughs) light spam. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and spam, I'm a big fan of
3: both acronyms and portmanteaus. What does spam stand for?
1: Uh, Mechanically separated. (laughs) Spiced ham. Oh, really? Ah. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. I know they always they always build it as the what was the the old ads that said the the something amazing miracle meat in a can or something <laughs> Spam 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 amazing miracle meat in a can Boy.
3: Yeah I've got a, I was just watching something on them I think they're hitting like a big anniversary and to your point they're trying to there's literally like 20 different types Yeah of yeah Spam
1: yeah, it's it's an amazing thing. Fried up with some eggs. Oh,
2: I always like, love where yeah. this podcast goes. I know, I know right? <laughs> like, spam. Thought. You never you never know
1: what's gonna take you. So spam. Well, that is awesome. So, I wait.
2: I have one more dying, burning question. Oh, I've been me, wanting to know me. this all, you know, throughout the whole podcast. What was the goldfish that you had the very first one? What was his name?
3: His name was Oscar. Oscar,
2: Oscar. Oscar. nice. Uh, so Oscar uh, inspired it all. I love it.
3: <laughs> okay, wait. I have to ask. How long did Oscar live? <laughs> Not too long, believe it or not. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Poor Oscar. Yeah. Rest in peace. Less than maybe like three months. Yeah, yeah.
1: We, we used to have fishes, kids, and you'd get them home and they'd die like two days, and you just go back and get more. <laughs> 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 All right, Ben. Any last burning questions for you? No, I think that that was fantastic. Thank you for for taking the time with us.
3: Awesome. Yeah, well, we I was. I'm that. so glad glad to be a part of it. I know we've been working on
1: getting it together, so. Two thumbs up and uh you guys have a great rest of the day we got to mention purplegoldfish.com of course we're going to put links up in our show notes to you you're available for people to connect with on social media book for engagements all that good stuff
3: yeah so purplegoldfish.com my personal white website is stan phelps stan yeah so
1: that's awesome.
3: that's all that's all good and um yeah, I enjoyed it guys.
1: Now I'm gonna go have a beer. Alright, Stan. All right. <laughs> we'll have one we'll have one too in your honor. Enjoy. All right.
0: Have a good Cheers, one. Alright. Yeah. Bye. We're online at amawestmichigan.org and active on social media where you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. The national hub for the American Marketing Association is AMA.org, where you can also find a chapter near you. The Marketers in Motion podcast is on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at amawestmichigan.org, where we encourage you not only to subscribe and share our podcast, but review, ask questions, get involved, and engage with us. Don't forget important links, content, and resources will be included in the show notes for this podcast. Thanks for listening to the Marketers in Motion podcast, powered by the West Michigan chapter of the American Marketing Association. What will you do with the information you learned today? Be inspired. Be creative, be bold. Set your marketing in motion.